Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding liberal arts college. In this eighth edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll chat with Joe Doner. He's Monmouth's new Lincoln Laureate. We'll also get into the Halloween spirit a little with Monmouth Classics professor Adrian Hagen. She's teaching a course this fall on ancient magic and witchcraft. Every fall, an outstanding senior from each of Illinois' four-year degree-granting institutions of higher learning is awarded the Abraham Lincoln Civic Engagement Award and thereby becomes a Lincoln Laureate. Honored for their overall excellence in curricular and co-curricular activities, Monmouth College recipients of this prestigious honor typically speak at their commencement ceremony the following spring. This year's Monmouth Lincoln Laureate is Joe Doner of Arlington Heights, Illinois. Joe is one of the more accomplished and involved students in Monmouth College's class of 2021. A double major in international studies in French, Joe is also minoring in environmental studies and political science. Joe says it means a lot to be named Monmouth Lincoln Laureate. Um, I think what it means to be a Lincoln Laureate is to kind of embody what your school is aspiring to be. Um, and I guess embody is a little, little presumptuous, but still, it's to be a good example of what your school wants to see in a student. Um, to be involved in the community and to be involved in the curriculars and co-curriculars at your school, uh, as well as, you know, also getting good grades. Good grades are certainly part of Joe's impressive resume. He's a member of four honor societies, Pi Sigma Alpha National Political Honor Society, Blue Key, Mortar Board, and Alpha Lambda Delta Honor Society. He received the Modern Languages, Literatures, and Cultures Department Award. He's also been a four-time finalist in the college's moot court competition and he's a member of the college's highly selective James and Sybil Stockdale Fellows Program. He's also a recipient of the college's trustee scholarship. And on October 14, Joe was named this year's Moot Court Champion. We'll hear about that later in this semester. Although Joe grew up in the Chicago area, he was a little familiar with Monmouth when it came time to choose a college. Um, so my uh, family had been kind of dimly aware of Monmouth for a while before I started looking for colleges because uh, we had passed through here pretty often on our way to Nauvoo for little weekend trips and, you know, historical outings sort of things. Uh, so when I started looking at colleges, we were at a college fair and saw a Monmouth booth and we thought, well, you know, we pass by it all the time. Let's go see what's going on. And uh, we started talking to um, one of the admissions representatives, and we were just really charmed by, you know, everything that Monmouth had to offer and the campus and the whole, the whole deal. Joe says that it was unnatural for him to choose his major of international studies and French. 
Well, something that I really like about international, international studies in French is that obviously they go together really well, so that makes my class schedule easier. Um, but I also really appreciate all the options it gives me in terms of things I can go and places I can do because the French-speaking world is a lot wider than you know most people think it is. And there's always going to be a need for somebody who knows how to translate or talk across a table between two people. Joe says his classes have been challenging at Monmouth, but what he's enjoyed most about his Monmouth experience are the relationships that students get to develop on campus. I really, really enjoy like the, the personal relationships you're able to forge with your uh, professors. I mean, I've been to most of the professors that I've studied under, I've been to their house at some point for like a meal or a meeting or whatever. And it's just, you don't, you don't get that everywhere. Um, you don't get to like meet your professor's kids and you know give them advice on how to pick a college and stuff. Just the, the really great personal relationships you can make is what makes Monmouth unique for me. And involvement is a big part of the Monmouth experience. Something that you and I have joked about before, Dwayne, is the over-involved Monmouth student. Um, and there's a reason that, you know, there's a joke about that, because there are a lot of students who are like that and feel that way and are intensely involved in a million different things across campus because they have the opportunity to be. Definitely think there's a culture contributing to it. I think, um, you know, a lot's expected of Monmouth students because it's such a small school. And because of the personal relationships I talked about earlier, you know, when you, uh, when you fall short or when you fail, like you feel that a little more personally because you're not just, say, disappointing yourself or a professor, you're disappointing someone you think of as a friend. So it makes you push yourself harder, I think. Following Monmouth, Joe plans to take a little time off to make his next career move with an eye toward landing his dream job. I'm going to take probably a year or two off, maybe do some work with AmeriCorps, um, uh, while studying for the LSAT and, you know, looking to apply to a law school. Dream goal uh, would probably be to run a consulate somewhere through the Foreign Service. That's Joe Doner. He's one of the outstanding members of Mama's class of 2021, and he's this year's Lincoln Laureate. You can read more about him in the News and Events section of the new and much improved Mammoth College website, Mammoth College. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. The course Ancient Magic and Witchcraft fulfills Monmouth students' requirement to take a class that covers the topic of beauty and meaning. The class, which is taught this fall by classics professor Adrian Hagen, also fulfills a healthy curiosity among Mama's students, thanks in part to the stories of a famous wizard, as Adrian explains. Yeah, Harry Potter is often in the background of uh, why people are interested in classics. Uh, so that's, that's certainly there. I asked students early on what their interest was, and a number of them um, said variations basically on the fact that it's it's a taboo subject that when they were growing up it was something that they didn't really feel like they could explore fully um, that was a, a little a little bit off limits and so it's something that they've been interested in but just haven't had the opportunity to really sit down and um, and do a formal study of it and they were excited for that opportunity. Adrian who is also co-chair of the college's classics department said the topics explored in the course appeal to her interest as well. I 
think there's something intrinsically interesting to a lot of us about the darker side of things of um, what people do when they don't have some of the normal avenues available to them and the kinds of alternative approaches that they take to try to achieve some kind of goal. Um, so if you, you know, have fallen in love with someone from afar and they're not paying any attention to you, um, no matter what you do, you in the ancient world could go and get um, a love spell created to try to get their attention. Um, we've talked in the class about uh, women using magic to achieve things that were, or to try to achieve things that were denied to them um, by the patriarch patriarchal society they were in. Um, we've looked at examples of slaves as well, of enslaved people turning to magic to try to exercise some kind of power over their lives when they were denied um, formal kinds of, of power and freedom of movement and freedom of action. So I think for me, one of my areas of interest is, is yeah, where, where people turn when um, other modes of action are denied. As Adrian points out, magic and witchcraft often run up against religious practices and beliefs as well. And one thing that we've explored a lot in the class is the distinction between magic and religion, if there is one, because a lot of people looking at religious practices from an outside perspective will call something magic when people within that practice will call it religion or spirituality. Um, so magic, what we might call magic, was certainly practiced at the highest levels of government in Greece and Rome. Um, so we've talked about Roman um, government officials conducting various divination practices like watching the flight of birds in order to try to determine the will of the gods, or making sacrifices of animals and studying the animals' entrails. Um, so those are things that, from, from someone who doesn't belong to that um, society and culture and religion, we could term magic, but for them, it's state-sanctioned, it's religious observance, it's built into society and government. Um, so one of the things that we have been addressing over and over with the class is that issue of perspective um, and Greeks looking at practices that, that foreign people did and how they kind of might judge or condemn or admire in some cases those practices compared to their own. Um, so it is, it's, a, it's a complicated issue, but it, it was practiced, various kinds of things that we would term magic were practiced in all levels of society, by all people, privately, publicly, um, for all different kinds of goals. You're listening to the 1853 podcast. I'm Dwayne Bonifer, the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and we're chatting with Monmouth Classics professor Adrian Hagen. She's teaching a course this fall called Ancient Magic and Witchcraft. In America, as Adrian points out, the subjects of magic and witchcraft can still be something of a delicate subject in some parts of society. I think in, in American culture and society, there has been a lot of hesitation and condemnation of 
alternative kinds of practices when it comes to religion and spirituality. And so we went through this period um, of the satanic panic where, you know, people listening to heavy music, heavy metal music or people wearing dark clothing were painted as Satanists and they must be out in the woods <laughs> doing all kinds of nefarious things to animals or something. Um, so that's, so I think some of that is what the students are responding to. They grew up in households that might've been pretty restrictive or might've been pretty judgmental um, about beliefs and practices that were different than their own. And uh, now they're having a chance to explore it on, on an academic level. Um, so I told them very early on, I'm not indoctrinating them to any particular belief system. I don't practice magic or witchcraft myself. Um, it's purely intellectual and academic for me. In another sense, there's some comfort to be taken from studying and thinking about magic and witchcraft. Wouldn't it be great if there was a book of spells that offered a solution out of every sticky situation? Or what if you could actually put a curse on your opponent? One thing that we've, we talked about very early on in the class um, is the placebo effect and the, um, the, we talked about the theater of medicine and the performance aspect of these things. And some of that does have to do with, um, with I think, comfort and with being grounded in something where you're, you know, you're experiencing some anxiety about a court case coming up. You've been, uh, you're being sued by your brother or something. Um, they, we do have a fair number of <laughs> curse tablets of people cursing lawyers on the opposite side. And so whether or not it actually worked in any capacity, I think there is something comforting about like putting that anxiety down, inscribing it in a piece of lead, pinning it with, <laughs> with a needle and kind of calling it a day. So there's something in there probably related to the placebo effect about feeling like there was some kind of positive outcome from these actions. Um, even if from a scientific perspective, we would say um, it's not a repeatable experiment. <laughs> you can't do it again, but there probably is some um, positive effect on the individual. Um, we have those for sports as well. So chariot races, one of the, one of the common kinds of curse tablets we have are people cursing the other team's chariot, uh, uh, chariot team and their horses. Um, so, yeah, so I think one of the nice things about this, too, is that we do get a window into daily life that way, um, that it's not all grand, epic literature. It's also real people um, having to go in front of a court, rooting for their team, um, falling in love, um, trying to protect themselves from envy, um, trying to cure particular medical problems that they're facing. So it's nice how much of a, a slice of life we can get from these very personal little documents um, that we don't always get when we focus on, you know, the big authors like Homer and, and Virgil and Ovid. Halloween is now one of the biggest U.S. holidays in terms of retail sales. As Adrian points out, one way to understand the day's popularity might be to turn to ancient times where similar events could often serve a kind of cathartic function in people's lives. You know, there's a reason that kids gravitate towards scary stories and ghost stories. There's, I think there can be an emotional release in 
looking straight at darkness <laughs> when we know, you know, we know that there are all these difficult things in the world. We, we know that horrible things happen. And I think that we can in some ways um, learn how to process the bad things that do happen by reframing them in a way that's a little bit more accessible or a little bit more palatable or a little more, um, you know, then November 1st rolls around and Halloween's over and nothing's scary anymore. So we're able to find some kind of release from that. Um, and the Greeks would, would call that catharsis. They would say that that's um, kind of purging yourself of negative emotions that are inside of you, giving them a name, putting them out there so that you can kind of move on from it. So the Romans had Saturnalia, which was you know, timed around the same time as our Christmas. Uh, that wasn't a scary holiday, but that was a holiday about inversions in society um, where enslaved people had certain kinds of freedoms they didn't have the rest of the year. Um, slave owners supposedly had some kinds of restrictions on their behavior. So uh, Greeks also had the festivals for Dionysus or Bacchus, um, where people, you know, drank a lot and went wild and and danced all, all night and, and things like that. So I think societies in general like to have <laughs> moments where we can sort of concentrate those energies and express them and get them out and then sort of move back to our normal state. That's Adrian Hagen. She's a classics professor at Monmouth who is teaching a course this fall called Ancient Magic and Witchcraft. It's a very popular class this fall at the college. To learn more about Monmouth's outstanding classics program, you can visit the new and much improved Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu. Simply search for classics. And that's going to be a 30 for this eighth edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy.